Welcome to Handbook for Humanity. I'm Colby Allen with our producer, Tom Viator, and Becky Adele are working on other projects this week. And so Tom and I are going to be going to the campus of St. Edmund's Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana, to speak with their youth group on a subject that is getting a lot of attention, the transgender conversation, or as we kind of phrase the, the talk, a Catholic understanding of gender identity. So thank you to Father Joe Campion and the youth group director, Wade Johnson, for the invitation to share some possibilities of how to approach and have this conversation to hopefully have a better understanding of this challenging topic. So I'd like to acknowledge before we begin, just like I do in the talk, that we may have family members or friends that are struggling through their own gender identity conversation to really understand who they are. And so without judgment or without condemnation, really we're trying to have this conversation as a way to understand who we are as people and humans and men and women to try to find ways that we can live and love as God called us as men and women. So thank you for joining us as we dive into a conversation on modern ways to look at gender identity. This might be personal for you. It's also for me. You might already have preconceived notions about what we're going to talk about and maybe even have judgments about what we're going to talk about. And I'm here to say that's actually okay. Hold your feelings. Feel the way you want to feel because I know all the time or a lot of times it's pretty common for us to want to defend people that are very close to us that we love because they might feel attacked or insulted. Also, I want to challenge you, hold on to those feelings because we want to also dive into what does it mean to honor someone in and through their bodies, in and through our identity and who we are as people. So before we do that, again, my name is Colby. I um, here, not because I'm a professional in this topic, uh, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist, I'm not one who deals with stuff like this, but I do have a good understanding of what it means to understand people. So my job professionally is what's called experience management. And what I do is I go into either companies or organizations to try to figure out how is it that people try to make decisions so that we can better offer them products or services or have better conversations with them. So in terms of experience management, my whole job is about understanding people. I do it every day, and it's actually really cool. Uh, so before we get into that, a key component really of connecting with other people, how many of us have ever heard the word empathy before? Understanding the emotions of another person. To suffer or to understand another person, where they're coming from, what they're feeling. We've always heard the analogy of you want to understand someone, walk a mile in their shoes, right? So I would also suppose that's great advice because you could walk a mile in someone's shoes. By the time they figure out what's going on, you're a mile away and you have their shoes and so they'll never catch you, right? <laughs> All that to say is it really is important to try to understand where people are coming from, right? What their emotions are, what their feelings are, because that's meaningful, right? We all have experiences that shape who we are as people. And to that, the reality of our bodies, again, is something that we really need to dive into. What does it mean to have a body? All the time we, we kind of think of, we hear the term, the spirit is good and the body is bad. How many of us have heard that before, right? Our desires, our, our emotions, and our feelings are bad. And they're not good. I'm here today to tell you that it's actually not the case. That's actually a heresy. The church teaches that our bodies are good. When you read the scriptures in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, when it said God created the, the heavens and the earth, when God created the animals and the land and all the things, he said it is good. But when he got to man and he created Adam and Eve, what did he say? It is very good, right? Our bodies are very good. We're made in the image and likeness of God. We hear that all the time, but do we really dive in to figure out what that means for us? So again, our bodies are important. How do you know that I'm here right now? You see me, yeah. What else? You hear my voice? 
Before I left the house, I put on deodorant. I wouldn't able to take a shower. My wife's like, you smell really good. I was like, thank you. So you can smell me, right? We experience the world in and through our senses, with our sight, with our touch, taste, like all these things. That's how we experience the world, in and through our bodies. Pope John Paul II, right? We've got 2B right here. Pope John Paul II, in the Theology of the Body, said, the body and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. So what does that mean for us? Again, you know the spiritual reality of who I am as a person because of my body. If I didn't have a body, could we experience one another? No, you wouldn't hear me. You wouldn't see me. Probably wouldn't smell me, right? You wouldn't be able to experience the reality of who I am because you would not experience my body. We all have relationships with other people in and through our bodies, and that's how we experience the world. Could we leave a mark on the world and leave an impression on the world if we didn't have bodies? No. We couldn't share who we are as people, right? The deepest desire of the human heart is to know and to be known by another. Can you know another person without experiencing their body? Can another person know you without experiencing your body? Yeah? How was that? You talk to them. You talk to them with what? Over the phone. But, right, your voice is coming through the phone, right? It's your voice. It's from your body. So if our bodies are the means which we exist in the world, how important is it that we should really try to understand what our bodies mean and where they come from? Anthropology is a really fancy word. It's the study of man. Anthro means man, and apology means to study or to try to learn. And so when we talk about an anthropology of man, we're trying to figure out who we are as people. Because even before we get into religious context, even before we get into like religious ideas, there's two kind of fundamental questions that all people can ask. What does it mean to be human? Right? I mean, of us probably asked that question before. What does it mean to be human? And also, how am I called to live? But I would offer that the second question, how am I called to live, stems probably from that first question. Because if we don't understand our humanity or our bodies, can we have the right judgment to make good decisions about how we're called to live? And so again, we'll kind of drill back to like, how important is it to understand our bodies so that we can live in truth and the way that God calls us to live? We are not ghost-strapped in machines, right? We said, you know, spirit, good, body, bad. That's not the case. We are not ghost-strapped in machines. We're not bodies that are animated just simply by a spirit. We are a body and soul unity. And so again, when God made Adam, he breathed into him, right, the life. He had a body from the beginning. It wasn't like Adam was a spirit in heaven, then God called him down and just kind of made him a body. Our bodies are meaningful, right? We are, in a way, our bodies. I'll tell you a story. So there was a lady who was married for a very long time. Her husband passed away, and at his funeral, she was, of course, very sad and very upset. And her family, well-intentioned, tried to tell her, right, it's okay, he's resting, he's gone, like, that is just a representation of who he was. He's not, he's not here anymore, he's in a better place. And she's like, no, like, that's the body that loved me. Because, again, she experienced the love from her husband in the ways that he enacted his love to her in and through his body, through acts of service through words of affirmation, right? All these different languages of love that we experience either from other people or that we offer to other people. It is our bodies that make this happen. So with that kind of in mind, how important is it and how much reverence should we have for our bodies that God made in his own image and likeness in order to again understand who we are as people? It's kind of a quick story. 
I wasn't always Catholic. So I confirmed when I was 18, but before that I was actually Southern Baptist. My grandfather's a Baptist preacher. And so I grew up going to a Baptist church. As I was learning about the Catholic church and kind of coming into this faith, one of the things that really drew me in to the faith was really beautiful churches. Right, so we'll care St. Ahmed's, like the architecture and the way that the building is arranged. You go to the cathedral, all the churches that we have are very beautiful, right? There's art, there's different icons that we can look to and, and try to get meaning from. So a beautiful church is meant to, again, draw us into the mystery of God so that we can we could be called to worship. It was really the beauty of art and the beauty of the church that also was one of the things that drew me to it. So before I confirmed, I actually had some friends that I'd met through a youth group Actually, right after I confirmed, sorry, right after I confirmed, some friends I met in youth group invited me. He's like, hey, it was a Friday afternoon. I was working and they called me and said, hey, do you want to take a road trip? I was like, sure. Like, where do you want to go? I'm like, oh, we want to go to St. Louis, Missouri. I was like, oh, that's cool. When do you want to leave? Like, as soon as you get here. So I lived in Homa, Thibodeau at the time. So I ran between Homa and Thibodeau down south. They lived in New Orleans and they wanted to leave Friday night, drive to St. Louis, which is 12 hours. So I was like, why do you want to go to St. Louis? They're like, there's a basilica there, and it's really beautiful. We want to take a trip to go see it. I was like, y'all are crazy. But sure, why not? I've got nothing going on. So I called my parents. I was like, hey, I want to take a road trip. And they're like, oh, that's cool. When do you want to go? I was like, probably tonight. And they're like, oh, where do you want to go? I said, St. Louis. My mom's like, okay, have fun. And my dad's like, that's stupid. <laughs> right? So what did I do? I went home after work, packed a bag, drove to New Orleans, met my friends. We got in the car and we drove 12 hours all night to go to St. Louis. We left at 11 p.m. It's a 12 hour drive. We got to St. Louis at about 10.30 the next morning and we went straight to the Basilica. We got there, visited for a little bit, went checked in the hotel, got something to eat, went back to the church to catch visual mass. We're there for like an hour and a half. We stayed sat in the pews and just trying to admire and take in the beauty of this church until security kicked us out. And then we went back to the hotel room. We got some burgers. We played Uno and then got up at 530 the next morning and went home. But I can tell you those couple hours we spent in the church changed my life. Why am I telling you the story? Because no matter how beautiful a church is, no matter how much its mystery draws you into itself to worship God, our bodies are infinitely more valuable and infinitely more made in the image of God than any building ever imagined. So again, the reverence we need for our bodies is something we should not take lightly. But as people, we're pretty judgy, right? It's pretty easy to make presumptions or prejudice about someone based on how we see them or what we experience. Again, we offered the, the beginning of this talk. You probably had some preconceived notions about who I am as a person or the topic we're going to talk about, some prejudice. That's okay. Because in order for us to understand things, we oftentimes need to do research. Again, my job is research, right? We need to be able to experience something to test it so that we can draw that experience into ourselves and make a value judgment. And so that also applies to our bodies. In order for us to understand our humanity, in order for us to understand science and medicine and all these different things, we kind of tend to categorize things so that we can understand it better. So what's the most simple categorization of the human body that we can probably jump to real quick? A lot of people, dead people. Yes, life and death, right? But also our bodies are what? Male or female. In the beginning, God made us male and female, right? The whole kind of thesis statement of this text of the TOB that we talk about, theology of the body, is 
man and woman, he created them. So again, one of the first things that God does whenever he creates man is he kind of puts us into categories. Adam is man, Eve is woman. That brings a dynamic that we're called to live in communion with one another in very specific ways. But again, ultimately, you're trying to really kind of get into the conversation of, as humans, we tend to categorize things and kind of judge things based on their appearance and what they, what they present to us. And so kind of our first kind of like buzzword proposition that we'll do tonight is when we talk about the topic of gender, definitely want to acknowledge that sex and gender are different. They are. All medical literature says it, right? Psychology says it. Our biological sex and our gender that we impart and that we live in the world are very different. What I would offer, though, is that our gender identity and how we enact in the world must flow from our core identity, who we are as people. Because just to kind of offer it in a crass way, right? You know someone is a specific type of person based on what how they act to you. And that just deals with anything in general with a relationship. So like, I'm a husband, I'm a father. So my wife knows me in a way because I, what, act as her husband. I do husbandly things. I take out the trash, right? I take care of our pets, take care of our son. I go to work to try to earn a paycheck so we can pay our bills, right? I do husbandly things for our family. And that's how my wife, in a way, like fulfills our relationship for us. And the same for her, right? She does wifely things, right? We understand our roles and our relationship based on how we act towards one another. So it can be very confusing when we talk about gender identity because one of the things that really distinguishes our gender is things that we can't normally see. So we say man, woman, right? You don't really see the characteristics or the things that would categorize you as a man or woman in a normal setting. And so, yes, it can be confusing to understand or be able to perceive someone's gender identity based on how they present themselves. So, again, we want to kind of clarify that distinction of biological sex versus gender. It can be a confusing conversation. The modes of being male and female are something I think that are also very important, though, because, again, that's how our core identity is lived in and through the world. <clears throat> but what's really cool is before we're even born, before we're even known to be in existence in our parents' wombs, we categorize people, right, based on how tall we are, how short we are, how loud we are, our eye color, our hair color. We're able to distinguish characteristics about other people based on what we see, which is something that develops and evolves over time on who we are as people. So my son is born. I have a pretty good idea he's going to be short because both he, my wife, and I, we're all short people. So my characteristics of our family, right, they fit certain things. Before he was even born, though, however, what's a question that your parents were asking right before you were even born? Is it a boy or a girl, right? You can go to a doctor's visit. You can do ultrasound. You can do imagery. So before we know anything about who we are as people, what our hair color is going to be, our eye color is going to be, again, how tall or short we're going to be, one of the fundamental questions we try to understand about another person is whether they're going to be a man or a woman. Isn't that crazy? So before we know anything about a person, one of the things we want to know about them is who are they going to be into the world? The day you arrive, right? You come out of your mother's womb, the doctor's got you. What's one of the first things that they declare? It's a boy or a girl, right? Affirming that which we might have known before then, but didn't have the confirmation of. We didn't know for sure. 
So I think it's very interesting. The impression that you make on the world happens before you're even born. Your identity as a man or a woman has happened before we even become fully mature men or women. Isn't that crazy? So one of the interesting things, though, is the way that we, again, use our bodies to impart meaning onto the world, right? To make an impression on other people that we had act in those relationships and engage in those, those interactions is in and through who we are as people. One of the current terminologies, right, within the, say, transgender conversation or people who struggle with gender identity issues is right now when babies are born, instead of just saying it's a boy or a girl, it's that is the gender assigned to them at birth. Has any of you ever heard that before? Does anyone know where the term gender assignment comes from in medical terminology? It's becoming a lot more common today, but what I would offer is that actually there are very specific circumstances where a child is born that might have some difficulties in terms of ambiguity in who they are as a person. That term was actually meant to be, at that moment, doctors and the nurses, right, they do tests at that moment to try to help that person figure out who they're going to be and impart interventions at that time to help them grow into that which they, they are called to be. But with the using the terminology of assignment, that often tends to have an affirmment of something that is assigned can also be reassigned. And so this period of ambiguity when someone's born to allowing us to kind of grow into who we think we should be is not actually the medical terminology in the way that it's meant to be used. And so what I would offer, and then kind of the, the point to getting to is language is also very important. Let's talk about our bodies being important and understanding our bodies being important. But language is also very important. So how many of us speak a language? Probably everybody in this room. Okay, you don't have to talk. It's okay. But we all speak, right, the English language. Miss Adele can speak French very well. So if she goes to France, she could probably have a, a decent time getting by. But if one of us were to go to France or Spain or another country that we don't know the language, do you think you could really get by very well? No? You probably get a book to help you with some translations. You can probably get an app now that'll help you translate some things and maybe have conversations. But the point being, language is very important. And so in order to speak the truth with our bodies, we also need to understand the language of our bodies. How many of you ever heard this heard term body language before? Probably everybody, right? Did you know the estimation is 90% of all communication is done non-verbally. So even though I'm talking a lot right now, y'all aren't talking very much unless I maybe ask you a question, the way that you present yourself is also speaking a lot. Talk about impressions earlier, making prejudice, right? How many of you see someone for the first time and you're just like, I just, I, no, I don't like them. Probably a lot, right? What is it about that interaction? There's something about them that either communicates to you that they either maybe aren't welcoming they may not be friendly. They might be having a bad day and have an ish, like a, something on their face that just tells you to leave them alone, right? There's some nonverbal cue that is communicating to you that a relationship right there might not be the easiest thing to have. So what does that mean? Again, our language speaks a lot, even if we're not speaking. And so for our bodies to be designed a very specific way, that is part of the core language of who we are as people and how we're called to communicate and love into the world. Oftentimes, it's very difficult to have because, say, as a man, one of the ways that you can learn how to be a man is through having a good male figure in your life. Like, I grew up different parts. Me and my dad butt heads a lot. There's a lot of things that I didn't learn from him that I had to learn from other places. There's a lot of things that he asked me to do that I probably couldn't fulfill for him as a son. 
but he was still a good role model for me to help me learn a lot of good things, what it means to be a man. Ladies, same thing, right? You probably learn a lot of what it means to be a woman from your mom or other women in your life. Maybe not. But we learn the language of who we are called to be as people from the relationships that we have. And so one of the struggles that a lot of people might have is we have issues with our self-identity because we might not have those core relationships. If you have that experience, I want to say I'm sorry and offer that there is plenty of opportunity for us to learn to grow to be great young men and women, even if we don't get it at home. For a lot of people that struggle with relationships, often that can be the case. And instead of being able to find really good, healthy sources to be able to learn those things and learn that truth, we end up finding it in places that might not be the most healthy. There's a song that comes to mind. It's probably old enough if you know it, but looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces, right? We're looking for love. We're searching for love. I said earlier, the desire of the human heart is to know and to be known. We want to be known by another person. We want to know another person. It's one of the core things about who we are as people. So we talk about language. I'm a word nerd. Uh, also plug. So one of the reasons we're recording this, we actually have a podcast. If you want to listen to it, you can search handbook for humanity in Apple, Spotify, any of the major ones, go back and listen to other episodes, but I'm a word nerd. So it's always for me about, again, I want to understand things. So I want to understand where these words come from. So the word gender, when we say the word gender, it's to beget or to go forth. You've heard the word generation before, right? So we maybe understand what generation means, right? We have our parents and our grandparents, generations of people. Also, it's the same root as the word genre. How many of us read or like to read or don't like to read? But what is a genre? A type of story. Yeah, a genre is a type of story. It could be romance. It could be historical. It could be a drama, right? We understand the context of these stories based on what? Their characteristics. We know it's a drama because there's probably a lot of drama. We know there's a romance because there's probably some romance. Right? We understand things, again, based back to that conversation on categories, we understand the identity of something and the genre of something based on how it presents itself and that which we experience. And if gender means to bring forth and to kind of continue, again, this can be one of the reasons that we'll say again, right? Gender and the conversation on gender can be so confusing because we can only understand people based on how we see them, how we perceive them. And so one of the ideas with the gender identity movement is... People try to present themselves in very specific ways, regardless of what's on the inside, regardless of, you know, where we come from. I'll tell a quick story. So I mentioned in the beginning, right, this is very personal for me. I had some very close friends of ours who had went out of state to have their wedding. We were invited, but we weren't able to go because I had another family event. And for a long time, uh, one of our friends was very defensive about these topics. So about defending their, you know, the rights of, um, different human rights being categorized in very specific ways in terms of gender identity and other things, but would never, we wouldn't have a conversation with us about it. I want to ask questions to understand and maybe try to connect with them and learn about who they are as people, but they were never open to that conversation. And there was a person right in our friend group who was always very to themselves very reserved, would never speak up or really participate in a lot of events. And it just seemed a little different. I don't want to say they were weird, but things just seemed a little different. And I could never really pinpoint it because they wouldn't talk to me. 
And it was a little bit later, we ended up opening up and having a conversation that this person had actually gone through therapy to try to change their gender. They had therapy, they had hormone therapy, and also surgeries to alter their physical appearance. I would never have known had we not talked about it. Because it's one of those things, again, it's, it's again confusing where like the way we present ourselves in the world has meaning. But also I want to kind of take a step back and we said that the language of our bodies, we need to learn to speak them in truth. And so had I not had that conversation with them, I would have never known who they were. One of the other, say, objections that people might say is, I don't feel who I am as a person in this body. I don't feel that I am who I am based on my body. And so our physical appearance, again, right, the way our bodies were created, God created us in very specific ways. And if we don't feel that we truly fit into our bodies, the objection per se is the feeling of a person is that which determines who we should call them to be. So my body, my choice, right? With something we hear all the time in other conversations. We'll offer again, we are free to choose whatever it is we desire to choose. We are free to do that, which we feel called to do. However, I would also offer the challenge of, even though we are free to do something, is it good to do so? One of the things, again, my job is research. I'm always asking questions. I know teenagers, your parents probably ask you all kinds of questions, right? Where are you going? Who are you with? Are you going to be out late? And the objection is, why you ask me so many questions? I don't owe you any answers. Because as a parent, right, they're probably raising you. Whenever you would ask them questions, you'd be like, I'm the parent. I'm bigger. You do what I tell you to do. So we grow up kind of with this idea of like, we can't ask questions. And so I think oftentimes, also when it comes to personal identity, one of the things that's the most dear to us is one of the most challenging things I have a conversation about. And so instead of, again, seeking therapies or finding ways to mask the other pains that we're dealing with, oftentimes it's, I don't want to talk about it. You need to accept me for who I am. Which is a very, again, difficult conversation to have because oftentimes how we communicate to the world, right? If we're supposed to speak our bodies and our language and truth, yet we're not able to ask questions and understand where these people are coming from. Again, it's a difficult conversation. But I would offer, if people feel that we can't trust our bodies to be that manifestation of who we are in the world, can we also trust our feelings? How many of us have either had a boyfriend or girlfriend, right? We've had feelings that come and go. You like someone one minute, and then you might experience something that you don't like about them, and then we change. Or you get mad at your parents for something, and then you end up reconciling. My son's almost, he's two years old. He does a lot of things that really gets on my nerves, right? I have those feelings in the moment, but those feelings are fleeting. Feelings are based on stimulus and things that are outside of us that influence how we react to certain things. So I'd also offer the challenge is if we feel that we can't trust our bodies to be the representation of who we are in the world, should we also ask the question, can we fully trust feelings to be the absolute way that we measure who we are called to be in the world? No. What I'll offer is we need to have, again, meaningful conversations on who we are as people and how are we called to live. And we're called to live by understanding our relationships. Again, I mentioned in the beginning, my relationship with my wife, if I started doing things that were very contrary to being a husband, 
Do you think our marriage would last very long? Probably not, right? The way that we live in our relationships and the way that we commit to those relationships and love says a lot. So again, the importance of communication and the language that we speak is crucial. Because if we're not telling truth or we're not understanding where that truth is coming from, again, are we going to have fruitful relationships? Probably not. Okay, so shift gears just a little bit, okay? But I want to ask something that's very, very, what I think is interesting. So words have meaning. Again, human speech, the way that we speak, is just trying to understand and have the observation of reality that's outside of us. Now, God, when he spoke in Genesis, he said, God spoke, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be the heavens and the earth. And there was the heavens and the earth. So when God speaks, things come into existence. Kind of get that? When we speak, do we ever speak something into existence? No? So what are we doing whenever we speak? Our speech is only trying to understand the things that are around us or impart something about ourselves that we would like someone else to know. So we don't really create anything new, but our speech and our language and our dialogue going back and forth is to activate and to understand that which is around us. Isn't that fascinating? So how does this apply to our conversation now and when we talk about the body? Okay. We try to, again, encounter things and we ask questions and, and look at it through an analytical lens. We try to understand things through analysis. Again, my professional life is all about communications and understanding things. And so I think this channel of communication is something that's very important. So how many of you have ever met a salesman? Everybody, right? <laughs> how many of you had a good experience with a salesman? A couple, right? You can meet a good salesman. But what is a salesman trying to do? He's trying to sell you something, right? They are trying to communicate to you that what they have is good for you. They're trying to communicate something that you're probably not open to hearing. And even if you are, they're probably telling it to you in a way that's very annoying. But they're over-communicating something that you really weren't asking for or something that really wasn't in your life before. Our bodies have a communication system that was designed in very specific ways and functions in very specific ways. Does anyone want to take a guess at what your body's communication system is? Your body's internal communication system is actually your endocrine system, your hormone system. How many of us know what hormones are? We've heard that term, right? You go through puberty or you grow, right? You, you've experienced hormones in your life. Who can tell me what some hormones are? I heard testosterone. What's another one? Estrogen. Okay, these are the two most common that people know. Anyone else? Can you name any other hormones in your body? Adrenaline is a hormone. We've all had a, a, an adrenaline experience, right? Or an adrenaline rush. We get excited about something or you're running or you drink a Red Bull, right? You get that rush. Adrenaline is a hormone. And what it's doing is it's telling your body hey, we're in fight or flight mode, I need energy, and I need to go. So what does it do? It makes your heart beat faster. It makes you more alert. Adrenaline is communicating to your body that, hey, we need energy, we need it now. So actually, I've got a personal story about, I actually am caffeine sensitive. I have a medical condition that if I drink caffeine, my body goes haywire. It's nuts. I go to lay half a cup of coffee, and I'm like this. <laughs> What's a... What's another hormone? Anybody? Want to guess? When I say it, it's going to make sense. Insulin. Yes. Insulin. How many of us know someone who's diabetic? Yeah. Either a family member or a friend, you know somebody's diabetic. Did you know that insulin is a hormone? What is it doing? 
Insulin is communicating to your body in a way to process the sugar in your blood so that it can use it for energy. Isn't that crazy? We just think like, oh, people are diabetic, they take insulin and it just helps them live healthily, right? Like, no, no, no. Insulin is actually a communication system that takes sugar and puts it in specific places so that your body can use it for energy. Another hormone that'll help you fall asleep at night is melatonin. So when your head hits a pillow or you listen to some chill music, whatever's going on, your body releases a hormone that helps you fall asleep. And it's melatonin. Why am I giving these examples? So we say testosterone and estrogen, right? Those are hormones that we know, but what they do is they communicate very specific things in our body that help us live out either masculine or feminine things. So just as we talk about testosterone or, or estrogen, all the hormones in your body communicate very specific things to very specific parts of our bodies. In Catholic ethics, medical ethics, one of the main principles that we try to live by, that when you meet doctors at Catholic hospitals or when you have certain types of uh, treatments, is one, the Hippocratic Oath, it means to do no harm, but also we are trying to find therapies that aid the human body in its natural functions. And if we do things that impede that, or try to stop it without a legitimate medical reason, it actually can be harmful for you as a person. So why am I saying this? Okay, before we get into it, how many of us uh, guys, so I could go to the gym a couple times a week, how many of us have ever seen a really jacked bodybuilder? Okay. They have worked out a ton, they eat a really strict diet, and then when they go to their competition, they rub all kind of oil on themselves, and they get up there and they're doing all these flexes and poses and right. We've all seen images of bodybuilders. Do you know how they get that way? Protein, testosterone, steroids. Yeah. Steroids. Right. Exactly. Steroids. But when we see a bodybuilder and they're like, they're shooting up with roids. Do you know what that actually does? So oftentimes we think of steroids as like muscle growth. Steroids are hormones. It is a synthetic form of testosterone or another hormone that actually tricks your body into growing more muscle than you actually need to. Isn't that crazy? So you think like they're just taking a shot and it just kind of helps them bulk up. No, it's actually altering the hormone balance in their body in a way that makes more muscle than your body actually needs. Isn't that crazy? You think like, oh, I'm just shooting up on roids. Like, no, no, no. They are changing the chemical composition of their body in a way that it's not designed to do. But we also see bodybuilders and probably think that, is that the most healthy thing to do? No. So imagine, which is another different analogy, right? But you go to McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or whatever fast food restaurant you like. Say if you're a manager of the restaurant and you know each day you have a very specific number of orders for French fries that you need. And so you, you plan your orders based on how many orders you think you're going to have. Well, you think like, you know what? People really like fries. I'm going to just order a whole bunch and just make a whole bunch. And so you just order more fries. And then all of a sudden you got all these fries sitting around that you can't really use. Does it make more sense or does it make sense for the fry cooks to continue cooking fries? Probably not. You've already got a bunch that aren't being served. People aren't ordering them. They're just sitting there. When it comes to the hormones in our body, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't really understand is the difference what we call endogenous hormones. So the hormones that are actually made by our body, exogenous hormones, or hormones that are from the outside of our body that are put into it for specific purposes. So again, the bodybuilder, 
that's being jacked up on steroids. What also is happening, a lot of people don't really understand, is again, they're changing the hormonal makeup of their bodies to manipulate muscle growth. What they're also risking is, again, their adrenaline glands, their adrenal glands and their, their adrenaline are not made for that. The organs in your body are not made for that much muscle. There's so much other stress that happens. A lot of people don't know this, but a lot of bodybuilders actually have very dangerous chronic health conditions once they get out of those competitions. Because then once your body starts breaking down all that muscle, a lot of them actually have other organ failure. They can have kidney failure. They can have heart failure. They can have all these other issues. Because what they did was they put this very high imbalance of these hormones that our bodies weren't made to have. And it caused all these other issues residually. So again, just like the fry cook, right? If you make too many fries, you don't need to make any more fries. Your body's mechanism, when it experiences exogenous hormones, also has a signal to turn off and to slow down your body's natural hormone process. I have several friends of mine who actually do exercise and do bodybuilding, and they take testosterone therapy. They're my age, they're young. But what they're starting to experience now is, even though they're doing these things to get jacked, they're starting to experience issues with infertility. They can't have kids. They're starting to experience with their hair loss. I'm bald, right? But you experience all these other issues that are residual to that which we're not really intending. So why am I saying this? One of the main ways that people who struggle with gender identity try to offer therapeutic means for the thing that they're dealing with is through hormone therapy, right? One of the main steps that people try to use to transition to present themselves as another gender is hormone therapy. But what we don't understand oftentimes is the long-term effects of that are drastically more dangerous, more harmful to our body's natural systems than the short-term or trying to really understand those experiences and those feelings of where we're coming from. I know also a lot of young women who, again, very touchy topic, but a lot of young women who take hormone therapy for certain things and then later in life have trouble having children. And it's hard. Because the doctors a lot of times either don't talk about those things or they don't understand it themselves. And so the therapies that we seek to address the issues that we have with our bodies are oftentimes very disproportionate to the remedies that we try to use. I know that's kind of a heavy topic, but one of the reasons I offer that is, again, when we have these conversations or we meet people that are struggling with these things, it's not that the Catholic Church wants to wag a finger and say you're wrong. It's not that the Catholic churches want to judge them and say you need to change your life. It really is trying to offer an extension and conversation of, hey, we understand that there's probably some other pains and things that you're struggling with. Can we talk about it? Instead of just telling me this is the way God made me, accept me for who I am. Because if we're not, again, living the, that conversation in truth, are we really gonna get to who we are as people? Now there are, the inverse of that, right? some medical therapies that are very good when it comes to hormone therapy. So I mentioned like my issue with caffeine and adrenaline. So I actually have taken hormone blockers as a medication. So if you have too much adrenaline, how many of you know somebody that has either taken medicine for blood pressure or something else, right? So what that's doing is it's a good therapy that actually blocks your body's metabolism of adrenaline so that your heart doesn't beat as fast. So there are good therapies in which these things can be used, but again, it's meant to enhance or make better our body's actual natural functions. 
And there's a very drastic difference, right? So if we, again, we go back to the image of the bodybuilder, we see a bodybuilder and they're doing all these things. How many of us actually look at them and say, that's healthy and they're doing a great thing? Probably not many. Oh, there's one, but not many people. But what I want to offer is when we look at these therapies or the ways that, again, people try to alter who they are and present themselves in different ways, I would challenge and offer us to really pray and discern to try to connect with them and empathize with them. Because even though they're struggling with something very difficult, there are ways that we can find healing that we search for. So like I mentioned just to my friend who I learned about the truth of who they are. After some conversations, we were able to connect and really get to know each other. <clears throat> I didn't judge them. Again, it's difficult because we believe or see things very differently. But we're trying to have that conversation and bridge that gap to where we can try to understand one another and where they're coming from. And even though they're helping me learn a couple things, also, I'm hopeful that I'm also to help them learn a couple things by trying to understand more of who they are instead of just finding other things um, to try to mask the struggles they have with their bodies. So if we can, we'll close in a quick prayer. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Holy, heavenly, and gracious Father, we come to you as humble children, asking for you to continually offer us opportunities and ways that we can experience your love. Lord, we ask through this conversation tonight that you help us to identify ways that we can connect with other people to learn and love them as we are called to love. Lord, for those who are struggling or have questions or confusion about who they are as man or woman, Lord, that we offer them opportunity and peace and consolation for the things which they struggle so that we can again live the language of our bodies in truth the language of our bodies in love in the way that you created us in your image and likeness and we're so thankful for this group of young people and the time that they offer tonight to be here to share in this conversation we ask as we leave tonight uh, that you help us to ever be called to you in the ways that you again call us to love other people and all these things we ask glory be to the father to the son and to the holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen and thank you for joining us today you can find everything we referenced and discussed in today's show notes if you'd like to contact us with a question or comment or anything you want to share let us know please send an email to handbookfh1 at gmail.com Again, that's handbookfh1 at gmail.com. Please subscribe to this podcast. We're available on all major networks such as Spotify, Apple, or Google. If you have a minute, please leave a review. Honest, what you think. We definitely want to know. Share with your friends, family, anyone who is human that you think can benefit from these conversations. Handbook for Humanity is a production of the DeZormo Foundation, a nonprofit whose goal is to support the dignity of life, born and unborn. If you would like to support Handbook for Humanity and our mission to share truthful conversation about the body, spirit, sexuality, and being a better human today, visit desormofoundation.org. That's D-E-S-O-R-M-E-A-U-X foundation.org. To donate, look under Funds column and choose Theology of the Body. Thank you for your prayers and support.